Hi and welcome to a new episode of Dynamics Update. We are getting into summer and uh, with me, as usual, I have Gustav Sundblad. Hello, Gustav. Hello, Johan. How are you tonight? I'm fine, thank you. It's been a bit of a hectic uh, week uh, and I'm guessing that it will be quite hectic up until vacation time. So... uh, (laughs) A famous Swedish vacation time, yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly, and it's nice to have be able to relax a bit with a with a podcast recording. That's always nice. Yeah, exactly. And we were supposed to get a real vacation from releases as well, but we have a correction to make, right, Johan? Yes, uh, in a lucid moment, a couple of episodes <laughs> ago, I think I I said that uh, it was going to be like a, a, a pause of the updates during summer. I was absolutely very extremely wrong. Um, there is a new uh, version coming, and it's coming on the 27th of May, uh, which means that it's already out in preview. Uh, it's GA at on the 15th, 15th of July, so at least we get June off, sort of. Uh, <laughs> and, and then it's the regular cycle. So it apparently doesn't really take into account Swedish vacation times, which is, I think, is a... It's Very a, strange. Yeah, really strange. Everyone should take the Swedish vacation into account. Um, yes, yeah, but it is how it is. Uh, it's at least um, uh, at least a uh, well, schedule we can adhere to. Exactly, exactly. So, uh, and, and 10.0.28 is absolutely exactly what we are going to talk about today. Yes. So I thought that you get to start since since Thank you have you. more things than I do. Thank you. And on the note of versions, uh, this is not a new feature. It's a deprecated feature I wanted to start with. Uh, because as important as it is to get a hold of whatever is coming, it's as important or in some cases more important to stay ahead of uh, what is going out of the platform and the system. Um, so make sure to read up on what is coming to be um, deprecated. And uh, deprecated is one thing because deprecated means you can still use it kind of. Um, but in, uh, there is a timeline for all the deprecated features when they're actually explicitly like removed. It's, it doesn't work anymore. And one of these is the XSLT scripting. Yuan, uh, what does it stand for? Extended language. It has to do with transforming XML files, at least. Uh, that I know that much. Trick question. But XSLT is um, kind of a, it's a language used for transforming uh, XML files, you could say. It's been a part of DIXF um, from 2012. And I think it's been part of DMF as well. Like it's a poor man's BizTalk transformation, you could call it. Um, to handle some transformations for for messages, basically, it's if you're relying on it, it's and it's not like a high volume integration. It's fine. It's a good it was a good little tool, um, but it's been deprecated for quite a while. And it's being um, if if you're using it, uh, you should have been notified about about it. Uh, but if you're using it, you can continue to use it until you update to version ten, uh, version thirty, uh, or later. Uh, for early versions, the exception will expire effective January 31st, 2023. Um, so you should have a notification about this if you're using any DMF um, projects where, or uh, integrations with XSLT scripting. You need to replace it with um, X++ language um, instead. That's basically it. So just be careful, uh, otherwise it will stop working. Um, that was my first one to bring up. So it's not a new feature, but a deprecated feature. So this is actually not a feature of Dynamics, not finance or operations. It's actually a feature of, of LCS. And it has to do with how do we deploy packages to our finance and operations environments. And the the, the whole uh, 
point here is that sometimes packages fail, unfortunately. And that's not good because then the environment ends up in a in a invalid state, which means that it's mm-hmm. it's broken and you need to best case you need to roll it back if you have a tier one tier two environment or higher. If you have a tier one environment, you're not actually not able to roll it back. You you need to fix the problem manually, which is a bit a bit of a hassle. So the whole thing here is that uh, Microsoft has added like a pre-servicing and a post-servicing uh, uh, stage. So the pre-servicing stage is actually like a, a best practice test. It it mm-hmm. will sort of emulate adding the package and see what fails and if something fails it will not apply the package at all so it's <laughs> it's sense. a pre yeah. pre deploy check basically okay. and the post servicing is actually some things that are done after the package is added those were earlier embedded into the actual package deploy mm-hmm. which meant that the package deploy took a, a bit longer but um, uh, now we don't have to wait for it to finish. So now it's actually being done uh, after the package is deployed and the environment is actually up and running and working. So mm. we don't have to have the environment down more than more than we need. So okay. that's good. That's cool. And uh, how how long is like how long is the the um, packaging period extended here? Would you say if the if the pre um, step is emulating the release it's not just a number of checks it's actually doing stuff so it's it's identifying a predefined set of errors that okay. might occur so it's actually doing checks on the package okay to mm-hmm. see like uh, the application version uh, i'm i'm guessing it looking at the database schema because one of the most uh, common things that actually breaks when we deploy a package is the database mm-hmm. sync yeah there are some field that is not available or that is not correct and and i i know that i ended up a couple of of releases ago having a problem with converting a field. So a field <laughs> in, in the existing release ID, had a yeah. specific type. It was a yeah. date field. Mm. And then our developers changed it to a string field. <laughs> and and that's not a workable solution. That, that doesn't <laughs> okay. compute. So yeah. in that case, it would probably have checked that this is not even possible. We will not be able to sync the database afterwards. Because we have an existing field, that field is of a type which we can't convert from, so we can't deploy the package. Uh, What I actually ended up doing was actually just uh, deleting the tables, dropping the tables entirely, because they didn't even contain any data. So it it wouldn't have been a problem anyway. But I delete the tables, and then I just uh, did the release. And then it ended up building the columns in the tables again hmm. with the correct type. Okay, cool. And the pre-step is done without taking the environment down, I suppose. So if you fail the steps, then you, you're still online, basically. I mean, so that's yeah. a good thing. So time consumption is really just administrative here. It doesn't really impact operations. Yes, and it also saves us the hassle of a, a point-in-time recovery. Exactly. So the, it's, the... it's more of a time saver than a time consumer, but worth planning like for an extended period yeah. of release, yeah. even though the downtime is still the same yeah because one thing that that is important to know is also that doing a point in time recovery isn't 
the end all be all because that no. might also break things because yeah. the problem is that we are doing a, a rollback of the code and we're doing a point in time restore of the database those might not be at the same point in time <laughs> so we might actually end up in a in a situation where we have an inconsistent database mm. which is a problem so the lesson learned here don't mess up your releases no ex exactly <laughs> and this will probably help you a bit to yeah. not do that <laughs> that's good 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 catch um, so my next uh, feature is uh, within the application um, as well as outside actually it's uh, it's uh, integration with the tax calculation and this is a this I would actually call a microservice more than a scale unit uh, it's a it is a microservice the tax calculation engine which is a new thing and uh, I hear a rumor that it will be discussed in a podcast near you uh, soon okay. I'm not sure if you heard that r rumor you on Yes, I think so. It it came from yeah. my OneNote, I think. Yeah, my, my, it came from my calendar as well. So yeah, it's a rumor. But um, with that said, the, the, sort of the tax calculation will be covered in a little bit more depth there. But it's basically an external service uh, where it performs tax calculation based off a rule set, a legal rule set, of course, but a rule set that is more easily definable there. And then you ask the end, the microservice what the tax should be based on a number of criteria and it returns back the tax, the calculated tax basically. So it's um, putting out a set of operations to a scalable microservice. Um, and then feature that is new here is integration with um, general journal as well as vendor invoice journal within Dynamics 365. So it makes a lot of sense to, to look into this um, if you are in multiple regions uh, with more advanced tax calculations such as India or Brazil or um, well even if you are only in two um, country well geographical regions it makes sense to at least investigate if it can make life easier for your finance um, team all right that's good so my my next one is is a minor one it actually <laughs> has to do with with the notifications we've had notifications in AX and FNO uh, for a long time. The problem with the notifications is that they end up in a table in the database, which means that uh, it, it's one of those classic uh, cleanup jobs mm. uh, that that we've had set up before. So delete uh, notifications that are more than, I would say, X amount of days old, mm. because it's probably not necessary. You can also, I think you also can filter them by sort of, category uh, i think so that some notifications have have a different cleanup schedule i'm not yeah. i'm not quite sure about that but this one doesn't really have to do with the cleanup this one has to do with the generation of notifications so we had a discussion a couple of of episodes ago about <laughs> uh, throttling batch jobs uh, and throttling o data so this is a trend going through the entire uh, product that mm. things that are uh, slowing down the system, we will have an option to to not be make them be so aggressive. So batch job is one of them. OData queries is one of them. We can actually the system can actually mute the OData, so they can actually tell the OData service the the service querying OData that I am not responding right now because you are talking too much. <laughs> Uh, and in this case, it actually has to do with notifications. So if there is a rule that generates more than 100 notifications per hour, yeah. the whole point of notifications, I need to remind people, is that pre people 
want to see them. So if it's generating more than 100 notifications an hour, it's probably too many anyway. So it will actually <laughs> flag it as a high volume. Yeah. And then you can, as administrator, adjust how it should behave. So, I mean, there are, of course, uh, notifications that, that should be listened to, even if they are very aggressive. And there are a lot yeah. of notifications that we should probably mute. Yeah, I mean, notifications are um, notifications from hell. <laughs> it's like, um, I, I do see the, the, well, the usage um, here and the scenarios, but notifications should be handled with care. If you have a high volume rule, you should probably automatically delete it, <laughs> like delete the notification uh, because for performance reasons. But sure, it's a, it's a nice feature to, to highlight these things. Um, uh, that's like the first thing, I, I whatever I get to a... a or there might be a performance issue. I always first thing I check is like, okay, do have you enabled any new notifications recently? So <laughs> that's um, uh, important to, to monitor and and, and do and take action on. So it's a good, nice feature. Uh, One hundred notifications per per hour is probably not an issue. Uh, but this, if you let people set up notifications on the transaction volume tables, um, you will run into issues. So um, good thing. Yeah, but but also, I mean, even though a hundred notifications an hour is not the problem, they are probably not useful either. So, no, exactly. No, so exactly. So, so it's it's a balanced thing. So why would you need to receive one hundred notifications? You would like to have like one when the batch job that yep, creates yep, these yep. You know, these transactions are, is done or something like that. So it's it's um, it's a good thing because this is notifications. This like um you you want the users to use the system as much. Without contacting uh, well anyone else, so notifications are a nice feature, but you also don't want them to go haywire <laughs> and go go bananas with these things. So it's a nice feature to monitor, and it also uh, brings to mind another uh, well feature or platform which has not been covered here yet. I think it will come uh, in later versions, but it's the um, service protection limits, uh, where Microsoft will enable um, or enact limits or, or more throttling as you mentioned as well the same same principle where you if you call on a, a specific service or it's odata uh, odata or custom service basically if you call it and you exceed the set criteria here you will get a, a busy signal back basically saying i'm busy right now please please call later um and the the um, criteria here or the limits are specified by Microsoft. And it's quite clear. There's a very nice um, tech talk on it. Uh, it was released, I think, yesterday for public viewing um, or well, the recording was released yesterday on the tech talk community, community page. So I implore everyone to look at that because if you are using uh, OData entities in high volume integration scenarios, you might be affected by this um, so take care to, to look at those limits. And we will cover them here as well in this podcast when, when it becomes um, applicable. Right. Yes. Uh, it's my turn, right? Yes. That's yeah, I turn. have another small one. This was I, I don't think the notifications thing is a small one, actually. I think that's a very nice feature to have. Um, but this is a small one. This is a little cleanup thing um, for the... I, we might have covered this before. We discussed the inventory on hand report storage, which is... Um, uh, that feature came... A while ago um, and it's a new inventory report that generates data um, inventory on hand um, data basically inventory value report um, 
uh, into into tables in in Dynamics, and they and the design is that you then export them to either previously the, the BYOD Azure SQL. Um, or export them for BI purposes, basically. So you generate the report within Dynamics, it generates a lot of data, and then you push it out for, to BI um, in a flat table, basically. And so the cleanup of the BI, well, it's handled there, but this is just a cleanup to, to automatically purge those tables because it becomes, if you have a lot of items, a lot of locations, transactions, etc., it very quickly becomes a huge data set. Um, and you can delete it manually, but it's cumbersome. So uh, this is just a nice little periodic addition to schedule that batch job and let it run to have a good system maintenance. Yep. My next one is actually not a feature. It's actually more of a warning <laughs> slash best practices thought. Uh, we've been working a bit with uh, Jewel White and with the Dataverse um, in the last weeks and we have discovered that there is uh, i wouldn't say it an issue but there is there is a um, a behavior that is not uh, very clearly documented but uh, it's it's documented in in two different articles and if you know how it behaves then you are don't have a problem reading the article but if you have preconceived notions about how it's supposed to work <laughs> then you're probably not interpreting the articles correctly. So that's why I thought that uh, I would just say a few things that might get you on the right track. Because it's, it's, a, it, it's really easy once you understand it, but that's the same with everything else as well. Yeah, so the, the point here is that when you create a new environment, you get the Dataverse, uh, you, you get the options to set up Dataverse connection. There is in the in the tier two and up environment setup, there is a, a click box that you can say create a new uh, dataverse environment. That will be an empty dataverse environment. It's completely empty. It doesn't contain anything. You can select to have it have it set up with a template, which means that it ends up having, for instance, the uh, presets for dual for dual write, for instance. So, but it's still completely empty. It doesn't contain CRM, it doesn't contain any data, and it doesn't contain anything. Mm. And why would you do that? Yes, you would do that because you need to have um, the microservices, the add-ins that we, we discussed before. Uh, because all of those require that you have Dataverse in place. Because most of the data interaction with, with FNO uh, goes through Dataverse in that case. So that's important. And if you select to do that, then you have a Dataverse environment connected to your FNO environment. If you look in LCS, you will see the URL for the Dataverse environment. If you look in, in Power Platform Admin Center, you will see the URL for your FNO environment. So mm. those are connected both ways. Okay, so why wouldn't you want to do that? Yes, the thing is that if you have done this, you can't disconnect it ever. <laughs> Before, there used to be an option to register a support case with Microsoft. That is not an option anymore. Really? You can't <laughs> disconnect the environment. Very very dramatic and final. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So the, the problem here is that since your add-ins are dependent on a Dataverse environment, 
you might be tempted to set one up just to get everything like data lake and everything up and running. And then once you're at the point in the project where you need a CRM dual write integration, you actually think that, oh, then I will just reconnect my CRM environment. Hmm. And that won't work. There is another option. And that is that you can go into the uh, environment. You can go to, date, to dual write and you can do the connection to your CRM from there. That means that you have one Dataverse connection in LCS. You have an other Dataverse connection in Dual Write. That is not a supported scenario. It says that clearly if you look in the LCS page, mm. once you have set it up, that you seem to have different Dataverse connections for different things, which is not good. We don't like that. So <laughs> uh, the, the whole point here what, that I'm trying to get to is that if you, if you need to do this, if you need to set up add-ins, you need to make sure that you have your production CRM environment available yeah. and connecting it through LCS. It will not do anything to your environment. It won't break it. It won't change it. It won't in install any applications for dual write. It won't do anything. It will just connect it. And when you start, for instance, using the data lake, it will store data in your CRM dataverse, but it will do it in a completely different schema. So it, it will not interfere at all with CRM. It's it's a, in it's in a parallel universe, so universe. to speak. So, <laughs> exactly. so you don't need to a to, find on parallel universe because you can't exactly. change it. So yeah. <laughs> so my my thought here is that the 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 best practices that I recommend if someone asks me if is set up the environment, skip the Dataverse integration setup, go through the entire environment setup and mm. let everything be set up correctly. Then go back to LCS, connect Dataverse to your production CRM or your UAT CRM or whatever is the corresponding Dataverse environment for this environment. It could be that your environment is completely not integrated to Dataverse and then you can actually just use the one that is created. Mm. But the important part here is that if you look in Power Platform Admin Center, you will see the environment connected either way. Even if you select not to connect it, it will uh, it will surface in, in the Power Platform Admin Center. Hmm. And it will look like it's connected from Power Platform Admin Center. It will have your FNO URL, but from LCS, it's not connected. That okay. means that once you do the connection to CRM, if you're doing that permanently, you will end up in a situation where it will be unlinked in Power Platform Admin Center and it will you can then remove it. So it will just need to be there for the time being because you can't remove it manually. Okay. I'm, th I'm thinking that the reason for this is that Microsoft has sort of uh, mentioned that there will th there is a public preview right now where you can actually uh, set up your FNO environment from Power Platform Admin Center. So L LCS is going away. Microsoft has already said that LCS is, is being yeah, deprecated exactly. eventually. And all of the administration will be done from Power Platform Admin Center. So I think that we're right now in sort of a... Uh, Limbo. <laughs> Or yeah, in, a, in between Transi periods. Transition, so yeah, we, transition is yeah so we don't really know exactly how this will work. But yeah. but uh, with that being said, uh, please be careful because 
uh, especially if you set up a production environment. If you set up a UAT environment or a test environment, you can always do a, a complete backup of your database, redeploy your environment, restore the database, because, yeah. because it will get the same URL. So you'll, all of your integrations will be intact. Uh, so it's there it's fairly easy. Doing it on a production environment means that you will be down for at least two days. And, and for <laughs> UAT environment, that might actually be okay. But for a production environment, it will not be okay. No, and very rarely for UAT environment as well uh, for that period of time. So, yeah, but sense. you can do it over a weekend or something yeah, yeah, like that. Course, if yeah, you're not in the, if you're not in the yeah. main main rollout project at the moment, you can actually set aside uh, a couple of, of bank holidays and and do it. <laughs> Yeah, that time. sounds like fun. You <laughs> no, but I, it's it's a good, um, uh, well, important catch or important um, learning here that to plan ahead, even though you might not want to use or might not see the need to use it now, then don't connect it at all. Uh, don't try to connect it to something if you're not sure um, what the future has in line for your dual right scenarios or um, CRM uh, customer experience integrations. Yep, that's good. Very good. Um, yeah, so I have only one left here from my little list of 10 to 28 version. It's, it's still landed cost integration entities for third-party freight forwarders. That's a complicated one, but um, basically landed cost is landed cost. That it's, it's for um, inbound, inbound tracking of landed cost. Uh, previously, it's been a, like a mashup of different things, Interstat reporting on a number of uh, different modules, mainly warehousing and inventory and accounts payable, of course. But the landed cost module, which... Um, which is well, quite new. Uh, it streamlines this, like, like uh, inbound shipping operations um, for freight scenarios from the manufacturer to the warehouse, etc. So, what what is new here in this feature is the integration entities for um, third-party freight forwarders, where you can like many uh, like name a few uh, freight carriers that like, kind of pick up your goods from the docks somewhere, um, let's say Asia, that they pick it up and then they they um, ship it to you. Um, and that, of course, is not free. <laughs> so you need to add that to your landed cost calculation. And, and it's a whole bunch of variables there from like working days, uh, which port are they shipping from, uh, currency, of course, do you have a calculated set currency, a lot of stuff, but mainly uh, the fees from the freight forwarders. Um, uh, you, usually this is entered manually or via API. Now there are entities to kind of help that transition so that they can well, they can post it or you can get it. You can build an integration scenario to, to uh, automate that and get a more accurate landed cost. Uh, so the new thing here is the entities, but I wanted to kind of name the landed cost module here as well to look into because it's there to to help uh, like track these things for down to container level um, and it, it handles the tracking very good. All right, I, th I don't have anything else as well. So I think it's time for us to close down for today. Thank you so much, Yvonne. Thank you very much, and uh, see you next time. See bye you. bye. Take care, everyone. Bye bye.